Welcome to the Highland Good Food Podcast. I'm Emma Whittam and today you're in for a real treat. You're going to hear from four amazing, passionate women all doing their bit here in the Highlands to create a sustainable good food system. This series is all about stories and today you're going to get a real flavour for what's happening on the ground across the area. First you're going to hear from Sophie who's based up in Sutherland and who runs the business Postatoes with her super little family. You'll hear how passionate Sophie is about supporting her community and her creativity in coming up with solutions to problems. So we started Postatoes out of an essential need really for our family. When we moved to the Highlands, which was just under four years ago, we knew that getting fresh fruit and vegetables and even supermarket essentials would be a struggle. You tend to rely on supermarket click and collects and for that you have to be available at a certain time on a certain day to go and collect and it's still a two hour round trip. We found that the easiest way to save money as a family was to do one large monthly shop down in a supermarket in Inverness or in Tain. But as a result, you can't get fresh produce. You can bulk buy your dried goods and your cans, but you're not able to bulk buy fruits or vegetables unless they're frozen. So the idea came that if somebody could do fruit and vegetable delivery boxes um, and deliver it to somebody on a weekly basis, it would save those regular shopping trips that were taking five hours of time. At the beginning of 2020, we decided that it was something that we could do. And it was while I was on a business startup course that the first pandemic and the first lockdown hit. It became immediately apparent that the supermarket click and collects weren't going to cut it for anybody anymore. Uh, It had gone from a two-week wait for a collection slot up to six to eight weeks to collect deliveries. There was also people shielding in their homes who weren't able to get out to collect their groceries. And there were also people who, due to medical needs, couldn't drive themselves to the shops or to the click and collection points, which during a pandemic when everyone is trying to reduce their driving time, it leaves those people incredibly vulnerable for asking for help from neighbours and friends to pick up groceries. So we very quickly set up Postatoes and offered our first boxes of fruit and vegetables to be delivered. And that is just over a year ago now. We've loved delivering our fruit and veg across our delivery area now for 14 months. It's become quite a passion of ours to meet our customers to get to know them, to help support them in any way that we can. And where customers have needed extra products or have, you know, requested a different delivery day, then we're more than happy to accommodate that. So we currently use a wholesaler for the majority of our fruit and vegetables, especially over the winter. And then come the summer, what we do is we switch to a much more local-based produce So we use local crofters and local growers to substitute the fruit and vegetables that people are are ordering, with the idea being that we're then supporting the entire of the community. So 
due to the lockdown, the hotels and restaurants closed and the crofters had nowhere to sell their products. It's always been really important to celebrate the local crofters and the things that they grow that are seasonal to Scotland. We now have three children and teaching them where food comes from and how much effort goes into growing food is so important because it's helping raise the next generation to be more conscious of what they consume and what they eat and what they waste um, especially when somebody has put a lot of time and effort into growing food that you eat it all and that you you know you don't waste it and you, you use every part of it that you can. The most important thing I would say about our fruit and vegetable boxes is how little plastic waste they produce so by getting the local produce or stuff in bulk it means that our boxes go out pretty much plastic free that means that there's less plastic going out there to the different households but it also helps our customers to be more sustainable um, and to be more conscious of how much plastic they are producing a lot of our customers over the last year have been those of an older generation and they don't have to order online. They can phone us. And for some people during lockdown, that was the only phone call that they made during the week. And we were the only people that they saw as we delivered their boxes. One of our customers had never cooked from scratch for himself. So each week we would tailor make him a box of fruit and vegetables and include some recipes with some ideas of sort of simple vegetarian dishes that he could create. And helping somebody in that way and feeling like you've made a difference to their lockdown experience is, I think, what kept us going for almost a year without a week off deliveries. But it became nice to feel needed and to help people through what was an incredibly difficult time so we do what we do every week and pretty much every week of the year because we want to help people. We want to help those who are too busy to go and get their shopping, um, those who are working hard, those with small children or families or other commitments, but also to help promote independence so that you know elderly family members are able to stay in their own home because you know that they're going to get a weekly delivery to their door. Um, they're not going to have to go out and collect their shopping. And they're going to be receiving healthy fruit and veg. We do it as well to install it in our children. That, you know, healthy eating is a great way of life. And where food comes from and how it grows is such a massive importance. And that, you know, you don't want children raised thinking that, Apples come from the supermarket, that, you know, they come from trees and you can go out and pick them yourself. And that, I think, would be our overwhelming wish for the Highland food sector, is that if everybody could appreciate the food that Scotland can produce and appreciate the crofters that put effort in all year round to grow their products and to supply their products. And those products deserve to be enjoyed by the people of the highlands they don't need to be exported out to other places and they don't need to just be sold to hotels and restaurants 
they can be enjoyed by everybody. I think what Sophie's done is amazing and really inspiring. And what I find most beautiful about it is how she shows the role that food has within our communities. As well as nourishing us physically, it can also nourish us socially and how it brings us together. And I just love how what she is doing is helping all different parts of our community and different generations appreciate where their food comes from. Really, really powerful example. Now we're going to hear from Ella from Life Coast Culture. Life Coast Culture is a really fast-growing and innovative young startup that produces dairy-free, plant-based cheese alternatives. I met Ella only a couple of years ago when she started off with local community markets and she's now shipping all over the UK to various retailers. Ella's story really is empowering to show that with passion, energy and a really strong sense of why you're doing what you're doing can create an opportunity for people to start to think differently and ultimately behave differently. I was asked to share about my why, why I do what I do. I guess in a nutshell, because I want to be part of the solution and not the problem. When we talk about the environment, health, ethics, much of the conversation is about reducing harm. Doing what we do already with animal agriculture, but doing it in a way that damages the earth a little less, or our bodies a little less. It's like we can't imagine giving up stuff that we like and we'll do anything to resist it. And I don't just want to mitigate the impact of the problem or just slap on a band-aid solution when the problem itself is not something we're actually stuck with. I want to do things completely differently. And I get that that might sound a bit forthright, and I guess that's just the activist in me talking. I've always been an activist. Sea Shepherd, Greenpeace, Amnesty International, Friends of the Earth. I guess now I'm just a bit more calculating about where and how I can really make a difference. With Left Coast Culture, I feel I can at least be a small part of this change, and especially in three areas that I feel so passionately about, animal ethics, the environment, and our health. With regards to the animals, that's easy. I'm an animal lover, so animal ethics are of great importance to me. And don't get me wrong, I'm grateful for the time of the hunter-gatherer, as this part of our story socialized us. It helped us evolve and made us more of a community that worked together. But we are no longer in that place, and the world is a very different landscape now. There are now more than 7 billion of us hunting in the supermarkets. I think it's time for us to move on and take that next step in our evolution and to start to live alongside nature rather than enslave and dominate it. I believe that we're stewards on this planet and I think we need to start putting our responsibilities above our rights. The way we eat right now, it's out of habit, tradition, convenience, and of course taste. And I guess somewhere along the line, it just wasn't enough of a reason for me to keep going down that road and consuming the food the way I was. And I love the taste of meat. Don't get me wrong, I often used to say that I was a meat-loving vegan. If it didn't harm me or the planet or the animals, it'd be a very different story. But it does. And don't even get me started on cheese. I stayed vegetarian for 10 years because I just couldn't imagine giving it up. But somewhere along the way, I just felt that my own taste buds and societal custom and habits weren't reason enough to continue participating in something that was so harmful to other beings and to the planet. And cheese is one of the hardest things to give up. I know that struggle well. And I hear it so often with my clients in my practice and now with customers. And it makes absolute sense that we feel that way because it's not a food that by nature is designed for us, but for baby cows, especially with all the hormones and protein in it that they need to grow. And one of those proteins called casein or casein actually releases opiates called casomorphines, which actually attach to the dopamine receptors in our brain and trigger that addictive element. 
And studies have shown that when we eat cheese, the same part of our brain becomes activated as it does when we take cocaine or heroin. So when we say we can't give up cheese, it's because we are in fact actually addicted to it. So I'm aware of what I'm up against, and for plant-based cheese to be a viable alternative to that, it's going to have to taste really good. So I guess that's my reason for making it, or at least trying to make it as good as I can, so that people who want to step into a plant-based lifestyle have one less obstacle in their way. The other area that drives me is the environment. And there is lots of really good work going on to make traditional farming more sustainable and even aiming at carbon neutrality, but that's still going on the assumption that we have to eat the way we're eating. And it will never be a viable solution for feeding the planet, much less the UK consumption of animal products. So again, I'd like to say, why not be plant-based 100%? Why can't we be bolder in our actions to change the way we interact with the world and how we eat and what we eat? We all know by now from the studies that have come out of Oxford and Harvard and the United Nations and the WHO that we should be shifting to a plant-based diet, and for good reason. We know the massive environmental cost of animal agriculture. That's not exactly contested anymore. It generates a huge chunk of global greenhouse gas emissions, greater than all transportation combined. It also uses about 70% of agricultural land and is one of the leading causes of deforestation and biodiversity loss and water pollution. And we only would need a fraction of that land to grow plants to feed humans with far more efficiency per gram of protein. But we also sometimes forget that the pastures and grazing lands could be rewilded. As David Attenborough said, reversing the damage we have done is all about rewilding land and promoting biodiversity. And it would be a bold change, but one that would return the land to nature and feed far more people for fewer resources. No more chopping down the rainforest for grazing land, much less threat of pandemics from zoonotic diseases, which we can all agree that after 2020 was a bit of an issue. And these will just keep coming back. So I believe this is all a wake-up call to not just tinker at the edges so we stay in our comfort zones, but a call for real transformational change. Farming plays such an essential role in our culture, in our history, and I'd love to see it play that role in a new type of equitable food system. But the planet is dying, and though I know some people find it tough and threatening and scary to hear, making that shift to a plant-based diet will take so much strain off the living world around us. So again, I say, why not? And I guess the last area that motivates me is health. I trained as a detoxification practitioner and a nutritional therapist, where my focus has been on reversing chronic illness through diet and cleansing the body. So I've long known the connection between diet, especially dairy, and various health conditions. And of course, we know that cow's milk is not something that's meant for humans, so it makes sense that we're all seeing so many people with allergies to it. And most folks don't even realize it until they cut it from their diet, which is what happened to me as well within weeks of eliminating it. I've suffered from lifelong eczema, various other skin conditions, and asthma, all of which significantly decreased and almost disappeared when I took dairy out of my diet. It was life-changing. I slept better, had a clear head, and as I got into my line of work as a natural health practitioner, I began to meet a lot more people that had similar stories and experiences, and it really was quite a revelation. So in a world where we don't just overeat, but we overeat on foods that are actually making us unwell, where obesity, blood pressure, diabetes, and heart attacks are on the rise, it's really nice to just be able to produce a product that not only has zero cholesterol because it's plant-based, but to just offer a tasty, healthier alternative to help those that want to or have to cut down dairy for health reasons or otherwise. And just up to a few years ago, our options were so limited, especially for tasty alternatives, but this is changing quickly, and I'm proud that Left Coast gets to be a part of that change. 
I'm reminded on a daily basis why I'm doing this, and it sees me through some tough times in a small and growing business. The community drives me. The messages of support and thanks and appreciation drive me. Just the other day, I got a voice note from a customer and friend saying that the supermarket options tasted like rubber and that she was grateful that I helped her feed her children well. As you can imagine, I was in tears. And the Highlands have been everything to us. We've not been here very long, but the people and it have opened their arms and welcomed a wee Canadian girl and made her feel like it was home. And we'll never forget that. And I don't think people realize how much that support has meant to me. And I don't think we would still be going without it. The Highlands is very traditional, farming and fishing. And I don't have to be here to realize that. But there is a new and growing conversation around other ways to live. And it's good to be a part of that conversation. I'm also really passionate about showing people what lies beyond the old-fashioned stereotypes of plant-based eating and how good it can really taste. My partner says I'm a feeder. <laughs> I like to feed people good plant-based healthy food. It brings me so much joy. And it makes me laugh when people ask me what I eat or how is it that I'm not starving. I eat better now than I ever did. And I think the stereotypical idea of a vegan is still that image of the guy wearing homemade woolly socks and his sandals eating some bland-tasting block of tofu or lettuce leaves. But the world has moved on a lot. And when I see that pleasantly surprised look on someone's face at a market, when they realize it's not dairy cheese they just ate, it lights me up inside. But it also gets us talking and engaging. And whatever your views are, dialogue and an open mind are just really healthy. And fair play to the locals. They almost always give it a go. It's been really great fun. And I'm just really passionate about the future of food on the planet. And now living in the Highlands and having found community and a home here, the future of sustainable food here in the Highlands has become a part of that focus. What I do isn't going to make the world perfect. I know that. But I feel like it's my little grain of sand and even a form of silent activism. My stewardship, my rent for living on this beautiful planet. Plant-based eating is not perfect, but it's much less harmful. And that's as good a reason as any for me to do what I do. I just need to feel like I can at least try or that I have tried to be a part of the change and the way forward. And it's so easy to feel helpless in all of these big issues we're facing, especially right now. But we just have to do what we can. And this is something that I can do. I'd like to see and hear more serious, bold dialogue about farming moving away from animal agriculture and what that would look like. And of course, for there to be proper support for farmers to do that, like they have in Finland, for example. Diversity of opinion is great, and I'd love to see us all find a way to keep the rich farming heritage here alive in a way that helps us start to restore the natural world we're losing so that the next generations ahead of us can look back on us as ancestors that did what we needed to do, that did all we could do by putting them and the planet first. I'll just end with a quote from one of the first books that opened my eyes to much of what we're talking about here, Silent Spring by Rachel Carson. She said, We stand now where two roads diverge. But unlike the roads in Robert Frost's familiar poem, they are not equally fair. The road we have long been traveling is deceptively easy, a smooth superhighway on which we progress with great speed, but at its end lies disaster. The other fork in the road, the one less traveled by, offers our last, our only chance to reach a destination that assures the preservation of the earth. Thank you so much for this opportunity to share a bit about Left Coast and why we do what I do and for including us in this conversation. I really am so honoured. Thank you. Next we hear from the lovely Helen, who is a crofter up in Elfin and also runs the Elfin Tea Rooms and set up the Green Bowl in Elfin. She showcases what a crofting community can do 
and gives an absolutely wonderful example of the power of people working together. My name's Helen. I live in Elfin in northwest Sutherland. I've got three crofts here and I've got the tea rooms as well on site. And last year my friend and I started a local food hub called The Green Bowl, selling food from our village online to our village and to neighbouring villages as well. When I came here, I really wanted to be able to grow food, not just a little bit for me, but you know enough to actually do something real with to provide to other people at a sell. And living in this village, there's so many talented growers here and also some very active crofters. So there's a lot of people with polytunnels. The lady over the road produces the most amazing vegetables and she's doing flowers and stuff now as well. Um, a lot of people with just a small tunnel but producing a lot more food than they can eat. And not just the normal sheep going to the market, but there's actually people here selling meat directly. So when I inherited my sheep flock, some of them were already sold as meat boxes to other people. So I got into selling meat directly instead of just taking sheep to the mart for sale. And my neighbor, Tessa, has cows and pigs that she breeds, and she always sells a lot of the meat directly. Some animals still go to the mart, but most of her meat was being sold directly. So I kind of got into it from the start, but I really wanted to expand it. And to me, one of the things crofting was always about was about producing food. It was about producing food for your family and for your community. And part of what crofting is, is community. You know, you have to work together. And I think crofting is what holds a lot of these, these small townships together. So I think it's a really important thing. But one of the things with our township is, as I said, there was a lot of talented growers. And I had this idea that, you know, we could really showcase what a crofting community could produce in terms of food and proper valuable goods, things that we could see locally and tangibly. So my friend and I, Tessa, she works in the tea rooms with me. So we spent a lot of time when we weren't serving customers, just chatting about all sorts of stuff and all my crazy ideas. And one of the things that came out of it was the green bowl. And it took us forever to come up with that name. We tried a lot that none of them just seemed right. But when we found that one, we were really happy with it. The idea being that Elf and the township sits on this beautiful green limestone valley. So you come over the hills from Ullapool and it's all heather, brown and, and yellow. And then you come over the hill and there's this lovely green bowl of Elfin out in front of you. But it also brings up this food bowl concept. You know, it's a place that produces food for surrounding areas. And, you know, the green has a nice eco edge to it because obviously what we're doing, we want to do well and we want to do the best thing for the land and the environment around us as well as for us. So we came up with this idea of the green bowl and the green bowl originally was just a farm shop in the tea rooms. We got a freezer, we put some meat in there and we just told everybody around that if they ever had any spare vegetables, to bring them in and we would put them in there and sell them. So we didn't have too much. We had a lot of meat, the mutton, pork and beef. We had some eggs and we had, you know, a few herbs and, and a few small bits of vegetables. So this was in 2019. In 2020, obviously COVID happened and the tea rooms were shut, but we sort of started ramping up our production. So, you know, we had animals ready to go to slaughter. We had all this meat and suddenly we didn't have anywhere to put it. So I was doing a bunch of online courses, as I think a lot of people did <laughs> during lockdown. And one of them was about shifting your sales to online. And there was a bunch of platforms that were talked about. And the Open Food Network was one of them. And this just seemed to be a really good solution for what we were looking for. We'd looked into, should we try and develop a website? Are we just going to sell online through Facebook and personal messaging, which is really difficult? 
you know, how are we going to do this? So the Open Food Network kind of solved all our technological difficulties in how to get our stuff out there for sale. So we launched into that. It took us a few weeks longer than we wanted to, but eventually we got up and running. So we worked out that we could do deliveries to Ullapool. Ullapool's the nearest town to us, and they are our main market. Our township is about 60 people, so not really enough to support our business. So we're delivering once a week to Ullapool, and we've got the meat is the main part of the stock, and that is what really drives the business. So that's what supports everything else. But because we've got a large quantity of meat, and a reasonably large value of meat for us anyway, going every week to Ullapool, we can then afford to take the neighbour down the roads, you know, rhubarb, another neighbour's chard, just whatever anybody else has access, we can put up for sale and take down there. It works really well for us and it's a really good example of how crofting and the rest of the community that aren't crofters can work together to do this food thing. So part of the trouble with trying to produce things like vegetables up here as a small scale producer is trying to find your market. So you can put a veg box down the end of your road, but you know, trade's going to be patchy. You never really know who's taking what. I mean, most people are honest, but there can be problems with the money. But it can also just be a lot of wastage because you can pick stuff and put it in there and then the people who want it don't come by. So providing access to a market or essentially providing a market for people can solve one of the big problems in small scale vegetable growing or even just getting into vegetable growing. You might want to do it larger scale in the future, but starting off, you maybe can't commit to doing veg boxes or you can't commit to supplying a restaurant regularly. So in that sense, our system has been really good for giving our local community a market for their produce so the first year we hadn't planned for it so we kind of just sold whatever was extra but this year people are really starting to think about oh what what should I grow and which gaps can I fill and we've still got a long way to go but I hope that what will happen is people will talk to each other so if someone's doing really early tatties then someone else might fill that gap in the middle so each person can't supply the whole market all year round you know but between the 10 or 15 of us here that can grow things we should be able to produce enough to make it a worthwhile shop for people to come to and to provide a good range and a reasonable period of time that we can sell vegetables. I'm really excited about it. I, I think that this kind of small-scale food production is something that works really well in the Highlands and something that works really well for our communities. It's a way of producing like quality food without going into intensive and whole-scale agriculture, so without having to plough up whole fields and plant massive crops that are then being transported miles across the country. If each area can just produce more of their own food and distribute it locally, then we can cut down on a lot of the need for intensive agriculture and a lot of the need for you know food that's transported a really long way. I mean, there's a lot of benefits to this in that you know, the local economy can benefit. I'm not, I mean, we're not making big money, but it's something that we can do that just brings in a little bit extra. And for most of us, it's something that we enjoy. It keeps more of the money locally, but I think also the quality of the food that our communities are getting is so much higher than a lot of what they can get in the shops. So you're getting vegetables that are grown usually organically, you know, low intensity and in reasonably good soils that are picked fresh and basically delivered to you that day. So the food is generally a lot more nutritious, it's tastier, it's fresher, so it's actually better for people, and it tastes better. 
And the other thing it does, I think, is it connects people more with the food, the people growing their food, and the places that their food comes from. So you're not just buying a nameless, faceless vegetable from the supermarket. You're actually buying something that you might know the person who grew it for you, or you'll you definitely know someone who does know them. You know, and you get to appreciate the seasonality. If there's been a bad spell in the weather and maybe we can't deliver because everything got destroyed by hailstones, like people start to become more connected to their food and the problems that there are with producing it. So there's a bit more understanding of the importance of food, the difficulty of growing food and how everything I think fits together in this landscape. I mean, I think local food is just such an important and amazing thing. And you know, it's hard to do as an individual because, yeah, it is harder to get your food to market. It is harder to find your customers. But I think if we can work together in these small local networks, it can solve a lot of these problems while giving you all the benefits. One of the things that I really hope is that other local food hubs will pop up around us, you know, in Koyak and further north in Scarry, and there's already, you know, something starting up there where they're, where they're getting more and more local food that they're distributing you know, down in Ullapool or Lockside. And then we can work together as the Green Bowl with these other local food hubs. So if we've got something they don't have, but we're both doing delivery runs, we can meet halfway and swap stuff across and that type of thing. So I just think this network of small producers, but working together can really fix a lot of the problems that we have. And it's not like we're trying to be a big company. So our growers still have responsibility for all their goods. Their names are listed on the shop. They set their own prices. They set their own quantities. And people absolutely know that it's not just the green bowl they're getting food from. It's Tessa or it's Brian or it's Gemma or it's Gabrielle. So they know where their food is coming from. And it, it just keeps that independence while working as a team. So I read a statistic a while ago that the UK could produce almost all of its fruit and vegetables just purely with backyard growing. I mean, that's an amazing statistic, I think, if you really think about it. But if we had no farms growing fruit and vegetables, but everybody grew in their own backyards, that that could supply all the fruit and veg that we need. Now, I think obviously that's not going to happen. A lot of people are too busy. But I think certainly for crofting townships, and as I said, crofting was about producing food for people. Imagine if crofting townships could supply a big proportion of their own food. You know, imagine what it would do for the townships, for the region, just for our general resilience and for the environment as well. You know, you're not transporting food all that way. You're producing it in sustainable ways. And I think just that sense of independence and confidence from having your own food and the joy in having such amazing food at your doorstep, I think that would just be such an amazing thing. I mean, we've become so spoiled. We very rarely eat meat now that we don't know where it's come from possibly that we don't even know the animal you know most of the time we know the animal that it's come from we have whole meals that are produced entirely from stuff grown here the meat the veg fruit it is such an amazing feeling and it is such good food i just think if we could do more of that up here it would just make such a difference i really don't think there is a better example of local producers coming together to feed local people in the highlands than this It really is exemplar. What I'm really loving about all of these stories so far is the role that connecting people to their food has in terms of their appreciation, not only for the food, but for the planet and for their producers. It really is powerful stuff. 
So next up, we're going to hear from Kate and Catherine from Rassi, who are striving towards self-sufficiency for the island. And they tell us about some of the challenges on the way. We would like to share our story with you. We live on the Isle of Rasay, which is an island off the west coast of Scotland. As we are on an island, we have a perfect opportunity to push towards self-sufficiency by growing locally and reducing food waste. My name is Kate and I have a background in environmental issues and I've been a gardener for 20 odd years and have been very passionate and involved in the Rasay Wall Garden. My name's Catherine. I've lived on Razé for about 16 years and my husband is a crofter. I've always grown a few vegetables at home and got involved in the, the walled garden alongside Kate. We both have children in the primary school and we set up a gardening club with them. In 2016, we received some funding from the Climate Challenge Fund to enable us to buy a polytunnel that would withstand Razé winters and also to enable us to set up a composting scheme. With the children, we built a three bay composting unit in the gardens and the children would go out on a weekly basis and collect the food waste from the 10 homes immediately in the area of the school. The scheme was so successful that we fairly quickly widened it and put a drop off bin in the centre of the village behind the community shop for the 60 households and the, the shop there to get involved with. The compost is collected from there and split between the school and our community-owned walled garden as required. The scheme is still continuing now, but with two drop-off points. The children no longer go out on a weekly basis and collect the compost. We tried unsuccessfully to get funding for a further food waste project that we were going to run in conjunction with the community shop where before any waste produce got to the point it needed to go in the compost bin we would take it on employ a part-time cook who could turn it into meals for community events and also to sell as locally produced ready meals back through the shop unfortunately we didn't manage to achieve the funding for this but it's something that we're still keen to do and are still on the lookout to be able to take up we're also keen to support the school and the community in being able to use local meat. We have access to high quality, free range venison, pork and beef on the island. But there's two issues. The first being that the nearest abattoir is a three hour drive away. And the second issue seems to be that the Highland Council policies for the school limit the number of the suppliers that they can use. So at the moment, that's restricting the produce that they can buy. In 2013, a private lease ended on the community-owned Razé Wall Garden. There were a few volunteers that decided that they would be willing to tackle the brambles and we worked in there for three or four years with the help of a few machines and uh, a lot of elbow grease. And um, in 2017, we got some CCF funding which paid for a full-time gardener and some equipment and also three 40-foot polytunnels and since then year on year we've been improving the garden as a aesthetic space for people to enjoy but also producing food and herbs and flowers for people to buy. It's been a very successful project. We've got maybe eight regular volunteers. Last year with Covid lockdown Catherine and I decided 
uh, perhaps a little foolishly at first, that we should up our production because we weren't sure of the supply of veg from elsewhere. But actually it paid off and the volunteers stepped up and we worked out with about 50 hours work a week, 20 of those paid work, 30 hours of volunteer time, that we upped our production and kind of involved the community on a higher level than before. And this year already we're selling at least 25 salad boxes a week and other produce, radishes, chard, spinach, soon to be strawberries, potatoes will be coming uh, and so on. It's been an amazing experience so far. So I would say the challenge, the greatest challenge is the human resource of labour really. There's just never enough people to do all that we want to do. But we've involved the community on different levels. People buy the food, people come and enjoy and visit the garden. Two years ago we planted a, an orchard of 37 trees and people have sponsored the trees and so that has brought different people into the garden. We've involved people that perhaps couldn't come to the garden to work to weed or to dig or whatever, but it brings them in in a different way. We're very fortunate in that the community company who owns the garden also owns Raze House and they receive an income from renting the house out to a, a private company who run it as a hotel and outdoor centre. Some of that income pays for our 20-hour-a-week gardener. However, we're in a position where as much resource as we could get would provide us with as much produce as we could sell. So we're looking constantly looking at ways that we can make the garden more self-sustainable financially. And we're looking at possibly reinstating the now derelict Victorian greenhouses, using one of those as a, a building that could earn us an income so that we can increase the capacity of the garden through paid employment. We couldn't get by without our volunteers, but it's amazing to be able to provide local employment and we can't rely purely on our volunteers to increase production any further. We're also keen to look at uh, ways that we could reduce food waste further by possibly getting the cooked food waste into a, a composting scheme. Again, with our current volunteers, we feel that's pushing them a, a bit too far to ask for even more hours. So again, we're constantly on the lookout for funding that can help us set up new projects and support us in the first couple of years. Overall, we feel we're in a, a very fortunate position on Raze and we feel that the work that has been done to get the garden to the point it's at at the moment has been amazing. And we're very fortunate to have such a wonderful community owned asset on the island. And if you want to come and see us, you'd be more than welcome and you can visit us on our Facebook page, Raze Wall Garden. Thank you. I'm sure you'll agree that Kate and Catherine are not short of ideas or passion and I hope they manage to work out ways to overcome some of their challenges. And I really do encourage you to take them up on their offer to visit Razi. It's a stunning island. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode and that some of these stories have maybe even inspired you to take action yourself or to connect with people in your community to take action together. We'll be back next month with more inspiring stories celebrating Highland food and drink. I'd like to thank Rachel Butterworth who works behind the scenes to put our podcast together and this month's participants who I really appreciate them managing to squeeze this into their very busy lives. 
And I'd also like to thank our funders, Sustainable Food Places, Transition Black Isle and the Pebble Trust, who without their support, this podcast would not be possible. And thank you all for listening. And remember to make sure you don't miss out on any Highland Good Food news by going to our website, highlandgoodfood.scot and join the movement. You can also follow us on social media.